Pastor Cricket had asked me to come and minister today on a specific uh, topic uh, today, and we're going to be we're going to be looking at uh, the spirit of rejection. Uh, but, but before we get into that, I just want to talk for just a minute about our journey with the Lord. How many of you know that our journey with the Lord is just exactly that? It's a journey. H- how many of you, Brother Mar- Brother Maurice, where's Brother Maurice? I seen this morning. I'm not seeing him, but we were talking the other day about the journey it is with Jesus. And how many of you uh, would agree with me that that uh, that when you gave your life to the Lord, when you had an encounter with Jesus and you received uh, forgiveness of your sin and you were born again? How many of you are thankful for the new birth? How many of you know that when your name was written in the Lamb's book of life because of the blood of Jesus and you were born again? How many of you know when you got up the next morning that everything in life hadn't changed overnight? How many of you can agree with that? But how does that be? I thought, how can that be? I thought everything was supposed to change. Everything was supposed to turn around. You know, the scripture says, uh, old things are passed away and behold, all things have become new. But how many of you know we were created in the image of God? He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're created in the image of God, and He made us a three-part being. We are spirit, and we are soul, and we are body. And when we are saved, the part of us that is saved is our spirit. How many of you know that? That which was dead has now been made alive. That which was lost now has become found. That which could not see. How many of you know the scripture says the carnal mind can't understand the, the things of God? We had a spirit that was dead and it was lifeless and it needed to encounter the cross and the blood of Jesus. And when it did, it was born again. Nicodemus, remember that conversation he had with Jesus? He said, how can I enter into my mom's womb again? How can I be born again? He was talking about the spirit coming alive. But the spirit is one part of our three-part being. The spirit, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But the apostle Paul wrote in the, in, in the scripture... In the scripture, he said that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And what God has done deep on the inside in our spirit and the deposit that he's put on us deep on the inside in our spirit, he now calls us to not be raptured out of here, but to work some things out in our life. Some things, some life patterns and some ways of thinking that are wrong and some brokenness and some hurt and some woundedness in our life. How many of you know that this life uh, will bring some trouble? That's that's not a negative confession. That's a fact, right? Jesus said in this world, you will have what? He said, you'll have tribulation. Jesus said that he said, comma, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So Jesus didn't take us out of here when we got saved, but he deposited something in us that he wants to work through us to transform our life. That's called a process of sanctification. It's taking the old and making it new. Now, I'm not into car restoration, but I think it's kind of a good picture. How many of you, how many of you ever watched one of those TV shows? Now, I'm good at watching TV shows. I can do that. Where they take an old beat up old car that that could be a classic and it's rusted out and all the upholstery's gone and 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 it doesn't run anymore. It's missing parts. And they take that thing and they bring it into the garage. And one step at a time, they begin to bring transformation uh, to that vehicle. They change out the upholstery, right? And they they, uh, put some Bondo on it and they remove some rust and they begin to repair the engine. How many of you know that's what our life is? like with the Lord, that we get up every day and we're excited about the fact that we have the Holy Spirit and we have the truth of God's word available to us. And we have our heavenly father walking with us and line upon line, precept upon precept, faith to faith and glory to glory. He is restoring our lives to what he intends for it to be. Can you say amen? How many of you God has brought you? You're further today than you were a year ago. Let me see your hand. How many of you have experienced change in your life since you've came to know the Lord uh, through the process of the potter working in our lives as the clay? How many of you are perfect and complete? Let me see your hand. Our spirit is perfect and complete. But our soul and the outworking of our flesh still has got to have some work done. And how many of you know that's a progressive work? Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. And so this series that we have been on, you guys have been on, that I love called Kairos. Kairos means a moment in time that can change all of the moments of my future. How many of you know when we encounter Jesus, there can be a transformation that takes place in our lives? And so God wants to continue to do a work in our life. He wants to take the places of our life that are broken, the places in our life that are bound, the places in our life uh, that need healing, and He wants to do that. How many of you know that God can do that? In Third John chapter 1, verse 2, John wrote, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper and be in health in all things just as your soul prospers. How many of you know that our soul is an important part of our three-part being? You know, for me in my life, I'm a PK. Do you know what that is? Anybody know what a PK is? That's not pre-kindergarten. It is that, but I'm talking about PK. I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid. My wife's a preacher's kid and we grew up in the church. And for me, for a long time in my life, in my walk with the Lord, um, I heard a whole lot of talk about the spirit and I heard a whole lot of talk about trying to fix what's out here, but I didn't hear a whole lot of talk about what John is writing about here. And that's that bridge in between. And that is our soul. And how many of you know that God cares about our soul? Because it's in our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions, where a lot of our struggles take place in life. And we can be loving God, and we can be saved, and our spirit can be born again, and our names can be in the Lamb's Book of Life, and we can be well on our way to heaven, and we can be regular church attenders and still have dysfunction in our life. How many of you know that? I don't know about you, but I I grew up amongst a a group of people and I got really good at uh, putting a wax job on the outside of the car. But how many of you know, sometimes we need to open the hood and we need to get our hands dirty and get up underneath there. You ever driven a car that had a miss in it? You're driving down the road. It may look fantastic, but you put your foot in the gas and it's like that. Or you got a wheel that's out of alignment. If you if you let go of the wheel, you may know what I'm talking about. You go out there and look at my expedition this morning. You'll see that happening on one of my wheel. You let go of the wheel and it's going to shoot this way. You know, sometimes things in our life are missing. Sometimes things in our life are out of alignment. And it's not because God can't do something about it. It's just that we haven't engaged Him to allow Him to do those things in our life. And many times it's not because we don't want God to do things. My, my, uh, my, my strategy to overcome in life used to be kind of uh, unidirectional, just kind of like one thing, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to pray harder and read more. I'm just going to pray harder and read more. How many of you have, have found that sometimes just praying harder and reading more doesn't fix the problem? You ever been around the same mountain more than once, more than one year? Would anybody get honest in here and say, you've had some issue, uh, a, at least an issue that you struggle with. You don't have to raise your hand more than a decade in your life. How many of you know, when we keep going around the same mountain and we keep hitting our head on the same, on the, uh, hitting our head over on the same thing again and again, there's something under the hood that God is able to fix, but we just need to get him in there to fix it. See, the scripture says it's not many times that we don't want it to happen. Have you ever been in the altar and you prayed, God, I'll never do this again? Or you prayed, God, help me. I don't know. I don't know what to do, but it doesn't change. The scripture says we perish for lack of knowledge. And in this series, God is bringing us an encounter with truth that can make us free in areas of our life that we aren't free in yet. See, the truth makes us free. The scripture says, David wrote, that God desires truth under the hood. In the inward parts, he says. How many of you know when truth touches a place in our life, it brings freedom? See, where the Spirit of the Lord is and where truth is, there is freedom. So God is teaching us some things in these weeks. Look, spiritual maturity isn't based on how long I've been going to church. Spiritual maturity is based on how much of the truth I have and I'm walking in in my life. There are some people that have been in the church for three years and they're way more mature than somebody that's been in the church for 30 years. And there's no condemnation on ourselves. But how many of you are ready to get some some things aligned? How many are ready to get free from some things? I was raised in a church culture where it, it was, I mean, it just wasn't appropriate You know, to say, I got a mess in my life because if I'm saved, I shouldn't have a mess in my life. But how many of you know, sometimes we got 
a mess in our life. And if we can't acknowledge it and we can't bring it to the cross and know that Jesus loves us as I am, but too much to leave me as I am. I can be the pastor, I can be the organ player, I can be the deacon, I can be the the usher, I can be the guy that's visiting for the first time. God knows my name, He knows the number of hairs on my head, He knows my past, and He knows what He wants to do in my future. He knows my struggles, and I don't have to be ashamed to come to Him and acknowledge that I need Him. You know the story, we call it of the prodigal son, it's not... Actually, the story of the prodigal son is really a story of the generous father. That story is about two people that are both broken. One who knew he was and one who didn't know he was. (laughs) We had one out in the pig pen, right? We had one that said, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. And we often think of that person as being, you know, I can't relate to that person. But do you know that he was a son before he left? Do you know that he had carried the family name? He wasn't a foreigner. He be, he was a son, and 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 he lost his way. And he, and and you know, uh, to the Jews, the most unclean of all animals was the pigs, and he found himself in the pig pen. And he and he and he finally one day the scripture says he came to himself. How many of you know the Holy Spirit is good at helping us come to ourselves sometimes? Anybody praying that your spouse might come to their self today? God wants to help us get the beam out of our own eye so we can see clearly what's in the other person's eye. But the scripture says he realized he came to himself and he knew that he was broken and that he needed to come back to his father. Although he he had a wrong he had a wrong ideology about what that meant. He's he's like even the servants in my father's house get to eat and they have a place to lay their head. He said, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna work what for my father's acceptance. I'm going to go back and I'm going to work so that I'll be acceptable. I know I'm not a son. And then there was a son in the house that was there the whole time. And he thought he was good. And he was looking down his nose at his younger brother and the people around him. How many of you know he was just as broke? He was broke with pride and arrogance and self-righteousness. He was just as distant from the father as the son that was out in the pig pen was. And all the time the father was there. He said to the older one later, he said, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. How many know all that he has, he has available to us. But the enemy will try to lie to us through circumstances and situations in life and get us believing things that are untrue because he wants to put us in bondage. He wants to keep us broken because he wants to keep us from all that God has for us in life. He may not have been successful at keeping you from knowing Jesus and having your ticket punched for heaven. But many times for believers, he's very successful at keeping us from living a joy-filled, purpose-filled, excited life in Jesus Christ. How many of you want to be somebody who lives out the full purposes of God in your life? And don't you love the picture? Jesus came to reveal the Father heart of God. Don't you love the picture that the Scripture says that when the Son was a long way off... What does that mean? It means to me that he was always looking for him. He had his eye trained on the distance, on the horizon. He was just waiting for that son to make one little move towards him. And you know what he knew? He knew, and the scripture says what he did was he picked up his skirt. Men, you know, back in those days, the men wore dresses. So he picked up his skirt and he began to run down the road. To that son who had had walked away from him, had been with the pigs, who smelled like the pigs. And there was nothing about that that was, that was proper for that day. He was a, he, he, he was a, uh, he was a rich man. He was a wealthy man. He was respected in the community. And those men didn't run. And they certainly didn't embrace the filth. But you know why he did that? He did that because he knew that if he waited on his son to get there, that the community would have a big gathering and they would reject the son because of the way that he had treated the father. But how many of you know the father said, I accept you as you are. And can you imagine everybody standing around? He embraced the son. Can you imagine what they were thinking? How many of you know Jesus just upsets the religious systems? 
He just upsets our way of thinking. All the spiritual hoops and hurdles and all the things we got to go through. He just says, I forgive you. I love you. I am for you. And when I'm for you, who or what can be against you? He didn't wait for the son to do anything except take a step towards him. He put a ring on his finger, which is signet of his authority. He put a robe on his back. He put shoes on his feet and he killed the fatted calf. And he threw a celebration for that son. How much more will he do that for you and for I? He is a good God and he is an accepting father and he sees us where we're at. But if we will take a step towards him and open our heart and just say, God, whatever it is that's in me, whatever's caused this in my life, whatever was done to me or whatever I've done, God, to cause brokenness and pain and bondage in my life. I know that you love me and you want to set me free and you want to heal me. Here I am. And how many of you know, he says we can come boldly before the throne of grace. And find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. So God cares about all that we are. It's not spiritual performance, but it's, it's real relationship with Jesus Christ. And real relationship is so much better than religious performance. I've found that in my life. Religious performance don't change us, but walking with Jesus and hearing his voice will change us. And some of us are finding... As I did all throughout my life, but eight or nine years ago, I can't remember exactly, we went to a conference, uh, the leaders for Victory did, um, out in Dallas called Kairos, and, and it was kind of our introduction to to this way of thinking and, and revelation in the Word of God about God wanting to reach into that middle part of who we are, the bridge between our spirit and what's going on out here. Because how many, how many of you, like me, have, can you see me when I get down here? Well, I can see you now. I need some shades. That, have you ever, you know, the Bible says men will know us by our fruit. You ever in your life found yourself uh, uh, trying to change the fruit that's on your tree? You ever, I'll never do that again. Pull that thing off of there. And how many of you know, a week or two later, boom, there, there it is again out there. It's like, man, I don't want it there. I pulled it off. I, I want it to be different. But in order for that tree to quit bearing that fruit, we got to quit messing with the fruit and we got to go after the root. Things in our marriage, things in our family, things in our finances, things in our lives that keep bearing the same fruit means that we don't have the revelation and the truth to lay to the axe to the root in our life to see that thing changed. God wants to bring truth into our life that will set us free. Can you say amen to that? So God wants to reach into that realm of who we are, into that soul, and take care of brokenness and bring wholeness. Now let me give you a quick, um, I'm more of a teacher than I am a preacher, I think. I like to give points, but I don't have them on the screen for you. But let me just tell you real quick, four emotional facts of life. How many of you know our emo- How many of you have? How many of you have ever been controlled in a situation by your emotions? Anybody got angry and didn't want to? And ever been sad or down and you didn't want to be? Huh? We're not supposed to be emotion led. We're supposed to be spirit led. But dysfunctional emotions can make a mess of our life. But here's four emotional facts of life. Number one is this. This is real deep. Life hurts. Everybody say life hurts. Jesus said it's going to. He said it's tough. It's in this world you'll have tribulation. But I think, I'm thankful that he, he, he gave us that revelation. But he said, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. He doesn't leave us in hurt. He doesn't leave us in pain. He lets us know, hey, I know you got some. I know you've had some things happen to you that you didn't have any control over. And I know that you experienced pain. Even as sons and daughters of the king, many times we can be in church for long periods of time when we can be carrying great pain in our life. See, life hurts. And number two, unless we deal with that emotional pain properly when it occurs, it accumulates in our hearts. See, emotional pain accumulates in our hearts. Most of us didn't know how to properly deal with emotional pain when it happened to us. Many times emotional pain was inflicted upon us when we were very young. How many of you know the devil hates us when we take our first breath on this earth? 
He hates God, so he wants to hurt us. And he starts setting us up from a very young age. And many times children suffer great emotional hurt and pain and damage, and they don't know how to deal with it, so they just learn to cope with it. And when you cope with it, you carry it. And when you carry it, number three, unresolved emotional pain and problems compromise our mental, spiritual, and emotional health. When we carry this stuff with us, guess what? It begins to form how we interact with the people around us. It begins to to uh, filter the way that we see life happening to us around us. And all the time, we may not even realize it, that those things that we went through in the past that affected us in our soul, which is a part of who God created us to be, which is made in the image of God. Do we understand that? God cares about the spirit, the soul and the body. But it begins to compromise our relationships. And then number four, what we find out is that we all deal with pain in some way, right or wrong. If we're carrying pain in our heart, emotional pain in our life, I promise you, you and I are dealing with it in some way. And many times the way we're dealing with it is not the appropriate way. We find a way to cope with it. We find a way to live with it. That shows up in a lot of different different ways in our life. Maybe it's just I'm trying to deny it and ignore it. How many of you know denying and ignoring a problem doesn't make it go away? Failing to acknowledge that it's there, that I have a problem, doesn't minimize the consequences in my life. The consequences are just the same. I can stick my head in the sand like an ostrich and pretend like it's not there. But if it's there, it's affecting me. A few years ago, I've told this story before, a few years ago, my family and I were on our way on a trip somewhere and we pulled off and we were going. And honestly, I had not been stopped by a police officer since I was 16. I was, I'd gotten a car, my, it was my new car. I was 16 and I was coming back across the old, the river bridge. Uh, I was dating Miss India over there and I was out at Pastor Jerry's house and I left a little bit too late to get home in time. And so I was, I was going fast in my little Hyundai Excel. It wasn't nothing like a Corvette or nothing, but, and uh, I got stopped and pulled over. But anyway, it had been 30 plus years and uh, a cop got, a state trooper got up behind me who I appreciate them very much. He pulled me over and he said, uh, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, I have no idea. And he said, do you know that your ta- tags are four months overdue? I said, I had absolutely no idea. And I did not. It wasn't that I was aware of it and I was just doing it anyway. <laughs> I just was clueless. Guess what? It did not minimize the consequences for me because I was clueless that I had that going on. And many times the, the enemy tries to make us ignore and deny and not be uh, uh, aware of the things that are in our lives. They're causing the consequences that we have. How many of you know that God wants to help us see it? So how do people deal with emotional pain? Many times they try to ignore it or they may try to medicate it. That's what you do with pain, right? Give me a prescription. (laughs) Give me something to help me deal with this, right? That might be, uh, I might become a shopaholic, right? When I start to feel depressed or I feel down, I might just bring up Amazon on my phone. I might start spending money and I feel better for a few minutes, right? Or maybe, maybe when I come home from work, I go to the, to the refrigerator and I, I pop open a can of, uh, of beer and I drink just to take the edge off just a little bit because I, I really don't know how to deal with that unsettledness and that anxiety and maybe that heaviness that's on the inside of me. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? I medicate. Maybe I, maybe I throw myself fully into my job and I become a workaholic. And what I'm really trying to do is I'm really trying to get over some things that are on the inside of me that I don't know how to face and I don't know how to deal with. But how many of you know that none of that is going to bring the healing and the wholeness in our soul that God desires to bring to us? The scripture in Matthew chapter five, verse four says this. It says, blessed. This is a this is a strange. I never really understood this verse. This scripture says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. It almost seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? You ever break the word open, though, and really break it down and look at the words, the Greek words, the way that they're written? Sometimes the translation is just a little bit different than the way that we would think. Let me give you the paraphrased version of this verse. It's it's 
amazing. It says this. Listen to me. It's not going to be on the screen. Instead of blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Listen, blessed are those who turn their pain towards God. For their pain will be validated, understood, and it will be healed. Blessed are those who turn their pain towards God. Because that pain will find a place in his presence of being validated. He'll say, I know you're hurting. I know you're broken. I know you're bound. I have compassion on that. I understand it. I know where it came from. But I have the power to take it out of your life. Blessed are those who turn their pain towards God. See, Jesus already carried our pain on the cross so that we didn't have to live with pain. He was wounded for our transgression. By his stripes, we have been healed, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. How many people do you run into that got the car shined up on the outside? How are you doing? Oh, great, brother. Praise God. Jehovah Jireh is my provider. Let's be honest, and life is like hell. I've been there. I've been the I've been the king of claiming everything's all right. And everything wasn't all right. I had things that I were ashamed of in my life. I had things I'd been carrying for a long time that I didn't feel like I could expose to anyone else. I had issues that I couldn't resolve. I had life patterns that I kept repeating. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And I thought that if I loved God and I was born again, I thought there was something wrong with me. Because everybody else at the church has got it all together. Particularly when God called me to go into ministry. Because I thought if you stood up here, you had it all together. You had it all figured out. I remember when the Lord began dealing with me about going into ministry. I had already made an inner vow in my life that I would not go into ministry. And my my future wife had made an inner vow that she wouldn't marry a minister. Let's show you how that worked out. But I remember talking to my dad one day and I just said, Dad, I can't, I can't do that. I got, too much, I got too much in me that's not right. And he told me something that I'll never forget in my early 20s. He said, he said Stephen... He said, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Jesus. Pastor Jerry told me one time, he said, so many times, Stephen, I'm preaching myself to victory. I'm preaching myself to victory. So God wants to do a work in our life so that we don't stay the way we are. Gosh, I got to hurry up. Okay, so really quickly today, I want to talk about one particular area of our soul that may be wounded by um, rejection. I want to talk about rejection for just a moment this morning. And so um, let, let me quickly define what is rejection. Rejection is, according to the dictionary, is the refusal to accept someone. It's to rebuff someone, to discard someone as useless. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone ever discarded you as useless, made you feel useless? Made you feel unsatisfactory. Made you feel undervalued. Oh, really? You? You're going to join us? Rejection. The core of rejection is all about being alone or something about me that's not acceptable to someone else or society in some way. That is rejection. I say rejection is probably the greatest scar we have in life. And the reason for that is, is God created us for love, by love. So because love and acceptance are our greatest need, rejection is our greatest fear. Let me say that again. Love and acceptance are your greatest need. And because of that, rejection is our greatest fear. Do you know that the number one greatest fear uh, if it, the poll was taken, the greatest fear that people have a fear of is the fear of public speaking. Did you know that? Has anybody ever done any public speaking? And uh, even it, it even ranks higher than death. 
right? Though actually the greatest fear is it would be dying while you're speaking. That's a joke. But do you know that the fear of public speaking isn't actually the fear of public speaking? You know what the fear of public speaking is? It's the fear of mass rejection. It's that what I'm doing or what I'm saying is going to be rejected by somebody out there. Maybe everybody out there. Man, I used to fight this so bad. See, rejection is the enemy's greatest control point in our life. And rejection is something that's common to all of us. And I'm going to have to run through this fast. But if you read the Bible, you see all of the great men and women of God. We often just fast forward to the end of their story and we look at their Instagram moments, right? Their highlight reels. Oh, King David, man, got man after God's own heart. Yeah, right. The very one that when Jesse, uh, Samuel showed up at Jesse's house and he said, God sent me here to look at all your sons to see which one was going to be the next king of Israel. David wasn't even called in as a son. You don't think that was rejection? What about Moses? Even though uh, Pharaoh was uh, killing all the, the Hebrew babies, his mom had to take him and put him in a, in a basket and put him out on the Nile River and had to send him down the river. You don't think he had life issues about rejection from his family? What about Joseph, who his father loved greatly and gave him a coat, and because he did something good for him, he was rejected and hated and reviled, sold into slavery, almost killed. Of all the people we look at in the Bible, the most rejected person of all time was Jesus. Isaiah 53, 2 and 3 says there was nothing beautiful or majestic about Jesus' appearance. I know we get all these pictures of this. But the scripture says he wasn't beautiful to look at. I wonder if God did that on purpose, maybe. So that he would know. The scripture says that he in all manner was tempted and faced what we face in life. It's, the scripture goes on to say nothing to attract us to him. My version is a little different. But listen, he was despised and he was rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. That is the definition of rejection. He was despised and we did not care. But how many of you know Jesus experienced rejection so he could carry it for us? So he could overcome it. So we could be delivered from it. So that we could know what it's like to live loved and accepted by our precious heavenly father. See, Jesus knew how to handle rejection because it didn't change who he was. It didn't change how he lived his life. It didn't change the voice that he heard from heaven. He knew how to handle it. But the problem for most of us is no one ever taught us how to handle that rejection in life. And because no one taught us how to handle it, we didn't deal with it when it happened. And it became a wound in our soul. Now, there's a difference between, you know, playing Red Rover at school and everybody else getting picked but you one time. But when that happens a second time and a third time... And then your teacher says you'll never amount to nothing. And then you have a parent. And that voice keeps getting repeated in our life. And rejection happens over and over. What it does is it becomes a wound in our life. And I know Pastor Cricket's been talking to you about spirits. What happens is a believer can't be possessed. We're already possessed. How many of you know who owns the title deed to your life? It's God the Father. We are possessed by the one who owns us. But we can be influenced by demonic spirits. And when we are wounded by rejection in our life, then a spirit of rejection will come and begin to speak through that pain into our life and begin to create a narrative, create a story to us that we begin to believe. And it becomes a mindset. And it becomes what we expect in life. It becomes what we believe in life. It's, it becomes how we live our life. Because we didn't know how to deal with rejection. Where does rejection come from? Let me just mention a few of the ways. See if any of these resonate with you at all. There's a, there's a million different ways. But uh, it, it may have started in the womb. You know, that, that a child can sense acceptance or rejection from the parents even in the womb. Maybe, maybe that child was unwanted in the womb. 
for various reasons. Maybe it wasn't the time of life, maybe career or whatever. This isn't condemnation on anybody. These are just facts, right? Maybe when a child was born, the mom and dad were wanting a boy and they got a girl. There's this transference of this rejection to, to a baby, even at a very young age, maybe through divorce. Maybe a child comes to believe that that divorce was their fault and that there was something defective about them. And that's why one of the parents left home. Maybe it's through a controlling parent. Maybe you grew up in a real, real controlling home where nothing you did was ever good enough to please that parent. You could clean your room, but they would come in and they would point out the one thing you didn't do right. You could make all A's and one B and that B wasn't good enough. And so you come to think that nothing you do is good enough and you carry a spirit of rejection from that. All kinds of abuse, terrible abuse that happens in this world. Emotional abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, relational abuse. Maybe just being constantly criticized by other people throughout your life. Maybe you were rejected at school by peers in your teen years and in the years of puberty as you're developing and your body is changing and you're trying to find your identity is one of the worst times that the enemy comes in and begins to brand people with a spirit of rejection. I'm not tall enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not athletic enough. And I and the enemy speaks those things through people over and over again. Oh, you think you're going to be on the cheer squad? No, you don't qualify. You don't make it. Oh, no, you, you can't be in the honors club. You're not smart enough. How many know what I'm talking about? Those things are very real things. And this is a very real life and they very much impact our lives. Maybe a betrayal in a relationship, maybe even in a church setting. One of my greatest rejection wounds took place when I was 11 years old and the church rejected my parents publicly and had accusations against them that were unfounded and untrue. And it was a very hurtful experience. And I went years without being able to church, trust church people. I felt rejected by those that were supposed to love me. My biggest rejection wound, I didn't even know it until eight or nine years ago, was perfectionism. It came into my life through perfectionism. I always strive to do everything perfect. To add up, to measure up, particularly in the, the religious realm, right? I didn't even realize that deep down on the inside. I, so I was, at, I was at Kairos, which was just a conference, a two-day conference. And every hour they taught on a different topic, kind of like Pastor Cricket's doing here. Unforgiveness, resentment, shame, rejection, whatever. I, and we went, we carried a group of people. And we were there. There's about 700 people in that auditorium. And first session, first day. They had everybody stand. The worship team was on the stage and they said, okay, we're going to worship and prepare the atmosphere so that we can receive something from God. And I kid you not, I was, I was there and I was like, I'm thinking, I, I, I knew what some of those people we brought, they needed to get right in their life. You know what I'm saying? I knew they had some struggles. I didn't know what mine was, you know, but I was going to see God do some work in the people around me. You know, I wasn't trying to be self-righteous. I just didn't see it. How many know if you can't see it, you can't fix it? And, and, uh, I kid you not, it happened just this way. They hit the first note and we went to clap. And when my hands hit just like this, I heard God say, sit down. And I went, I can't sit down. Everybody's standing. Right. And then I said this, he said, sit down. I said in myself, I said, no, I need to do something for you so you can do something for me here today. And he said, I don't need you to do anything for me. I just want to do something for you. He said, sit down. And I sat down and I don't know what they taught on for two days. They gave us a book. I still have that book. And God just began to write a love letter to me for two days. I like you. I like the way you speak. I like the way you study and prepare. I accept you. It makes me happy to be with you. All of these things that I didn't know that I didn't really believe deep down on the inside. I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel accepted. I didn't feel like I was enough. I didn't feel like I could do enough. And I didn't plan to share this, but I, I don't know that I've ever seen a vision. You know, I, I'm glad that some people do and have dreams and stuff, but that's not typically what happens for me. Um, just kind of normal that way. But I felt like the Lord showed me a picture and it's, it's very simple, but it changed my life. And 
we live in a in a log house, which I'm not a log house guy, but that's another story. And we have a big front yard. We live out in the country, kind of. And we have a county road that runs out in front of our house. And I remember my kids growing up, we'd often go out in that road and try to fly a kite. You know, unless you just get it just right in the spring here in Arkansas. You know, it's not like being at the beach. It's hard to get a kite up in the air. And uh, but, But in this picture the Lord gave me, I was, it's like he was viewing me from the porch and I was the one out in the road and I was by myself and I had this kite string stretched out there. I was out in front of the mailbox and I had the spool of twine and uh, I could see myself out there and I was trying really hard to get that kite up in the air and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I'd run and you know how it does it, do like this and it would slam back in the ground and I'd take it and I'd throw it up in there and take off running and it would slam back down in the ground. And I was out there and I was trying to get this to happen. And out of the corner of my eye, I sensed that God the Father was up on the porch observing me. That's how I felt all my life that God was standing to the side watching me try to get it right. And I began to sense that he stepped off the porch and he was walking across the front yard towards me. And all this emotion and all this fear began to rise up in me. He's displeased. He's displeased. Now, my father didn't raise me like that. As he got closer and closer, I, I had this overwhelming sense of, of, of rejection and failure. And I had that string in my hand, and that kite was on the ground. And his loving hands went over the top of my hands. And what he said to me was, I don't want you to do anything for me. I just want to do everything with you. And can I tell you, I would say 95% of the time before I ever step on a stage to do announcements or to bring a message or lead in prayer, whatever it is, I sense him step up beside me and say, I just want to do this with you. But God, you know, this week I hadn't been, mm, only had prayer time two days this week and now I got to speak. I understand. I accept you. I'll never reject you. I love you with an everlasting love. Not because of your performance, because you're my son. How many of you know that an encounter with the Savior can change the moments from here on out? My relationship with God isn't perfect by any means, but I'm okay with it not being perfect. And before I was, I strive to be everything he's called me to be, but I can't be it without him. I can't be it without his acceptance and his love in my life. God wants to bring healing to our heart and he wants to bring deliverance to our lives. This is always me. I have a bunch more. Can I tell you two other things real quick? Stay with me. So how do you know if you have a spirit of rejection operating in your life? I mean, all of us have been rejected to some degree. We've all experienced, no, you, you know, this job's not for you or whatever. But there's a difference between that and carrying a wound of rejection that the spirit influences us through. Let me just quickly tell you, some of the fruit of a spirit of rejection in our life is that we try to avoid rejection. <laughs> we won't risk rejections. If I have commitment issues in my life and I'm always rejecting somebody else before they have a chance to reject me, it's likely that I have a wound of rejection. If I have anger and aggression that pops up continually in my life, it may stem from a root of rejection. If I'm a person that prays, reads my Bible, goes to church, but still yet there's a cloud of hopelessness and despair over my life, it could be that it comes from a wound of rejection. See, rejection comes after our identity. What it tries to convince me of is that my value and that my worth comes from without. What other people say about me, what other people value about me, what title I have, how many possessions I own. And what it says is, is it says that what is said out here matters more than what's said in here. And that my, but here's the problem. If someone else is my problem, then that means someone else is my answer and I can't do anything about it. 
How many of you know our identity doesn't come from anyone else? The enemy tries to get us to see ourselves through the eyes of those around us. But when we begin to hear the voice of our Heavenly Father and let our identity be established in who He says we are, then what's going on around us won't affect us. What was the first thing the devil tried to do to Jesus after he was baptized? Don't you love that when Jesus was baptized, the scripture says that the heavenly father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know how many miracles Jesus had performed at that point? Zero. He confirmed him as his son and he accepted him in that moment. And then when Jesus went out into the wilderness, you know what the enemy said to him? The very first thing he said, if you are the son. He went after his identity. If he could get him questioning who he was, God had already said who he was publicly, not based on anything that he had accomplished or done. Just because I love you and you are my son and I'm well pleased with you. And then the enemy came in and said, if you are the son, then do something spectacular to impress people. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, no, no, I don't get my identity from performance. I don't get my identity from possession. I don't get my identity from what people think about me. I get my identity from my heavenly father. Lastly, spirit of rejection will hinder my ability to be able to receive from God. Because deep down on the inside, I believe God wants to do good things for other people. And I'm not surprised when he does. But when it comes to me, because deep down on the inside, I feel like I'm not totally accepted, then I don't have faith to believe that he's going to do it for me. A spirit of rejection will partner with a spirit of unbelief. And it will keep me from receiving that which the Heavenly Father wants to give me. But if I'll get healed from a spirit of rejection, how many of you know I can come boldly before my Heavenly Father with all confidence in knowing that what I have, and I ask in Jesus' name that He will give it to me. Lastly, go ahead and play for me. So, how can I be healed? How can I be delivered from a spirit of rejection? It's not super complicated. First thing I got to do, number one, is I got to recognize. I got to recognize and acknowledge the pain in my life and bring it to God. I just got to be honest. I might be the strongest man in here. I might be the lead deacon. I I might be the pastor, but I got to be willing. One thing Pastor Jerry's taught me over the years, and I'm so glad I'm free to do that. I remember sitting on the front row when I was five, six, seven years old because my mom played the organ and my dad stood back in that day. We were at the Baptist church and he would stand at the front. You know, if you got sin in your life, you know, something you need to get right with God, walk the aisle. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And as I was growing up and I'm sitting on that front row over there, I'm thinking, I can't. I can't acknowledge my sin in front of all these people. I can't acknowledge my, my wrong because what will people think of me? What will they think of my parents? And the enemy gets us trapped that we can't acknowledge the brokenness in our life. But if we can't acknowledge it, then God can't do anything with it. Brother Jerry taught me I love it. Now I'm on the front row. I'm paid staff. Man, if God's dealing with something in my life, I'll be the first one on my feet. Because I can't fix it if God doesn't fix it. We got to acknowledge it. We got to recognize it. Bring it to God. Number two, we have to release forgiveness to those who have wounded us. Hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying we got to, that we have to say that what they did was okay. We're not saying it's okay. And we're not saying we're going back into that situation. What we are saying is this, that I'm going to protect my heart by releasing forgiveness. See, forgiveness is a gift from God to set me free. Unforgiveness will keep me tied to that person, tied to that event, and tied to that rejection. If I don't forgive, Scripture says that I'm locked away in a cell and I'm tormented by the tormentors. I have to say, I don't have any control over what happened to me, but I do have some control over how I respond to it. So God, I may not feel like it, but I release forgiveness. And how many of you know that might be today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, but I choose forgiveness. Then number three is repent. I got to repent of anything that I've allowed that to produce in my life that's not like Christ. 
Because I might have a really good reason for being the way that I am, but it doesn't excuse me for being who I am. I might have a really good reason. Have you ever reasoned with yourself? Well, they did this to me and you don't know what I went through in my life. So I'm going to stay the way I am. Well, we can stay the way that we are or we can change. We can turn our pain towards God. So I repent of anger. I repent of bitterness. I repent of unforgiveness. I repent of resentment. I repent of passivity. I repent of unbelief. I repent of the things that that pain has produced in my life that I allowed to be there. How many know God will forgive me? And then I'm clean before God. I've released forgiveness. And guess what? We walk in authority. I recognize it. I release forgiveness. I repent. And I renounce that spirit of rejection that's in my life. I love what Robert Moore said one time. He said, Scripture says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. He may say the whole time he's leaving that he ain't going. I ain't going. I ain't going. I ain't going. But how many know he don't have a choice? Resist the devil. Renounce and reject and cut off every agreement with spirits of rejection, spirits of self-pity that we've allowed in our life. And those spirits have to go. And then fifthly, we receive the healing of the Holy Spirit for that wounding in our life. I want everybody to stand real quick. I've went longer than I should. Everybody close your eyes, if you will. Let this be a personal moment. I believe the Spirit of God is in this place. The anointing of God is in this place, not because of the messenger, not because of any of that, but because he loves you and because he sees you and because he's made a way for you to be free and to be healed and to be whole. He doesn't want you to carry pain. He doesn't want you to be in bondage. He doesn't want you to believe things about yourselves and others in this life that are lies. He wants to set you free this morning. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to quickly lead those who feel like God is speaking to you in this area in a prayer. Can we bring down the lights just a little bit more? I'm going to quickly lead you in a prayer. So if you feel like the Holy Spirit is identifying that you may have a wound of rejection in your life, this isn't for anybody else. First thing I want you to do is just open your hands to heaven right there where you're standing. Open your hands to heaven. Throughout your life, you know that you have felt rejection And it's become more than a one-time event. It's influenced your life. It makes you feel undervalued, less than, outcast. Like you can't measure up. Like you don't belong. And I'm not even looking around. I don't care. I'm not. I mean, I do care. It's not. It's between you and God. (laughs) I've... I've, I've had my experience with God with this, and, and, and I try to stay in that place. But this is your day. This is your Kairos moment. This is your moment to experience the power and the presence of God for freedom and for inner healing over this area of your life so that you don't continue down the same path. So by raising your hands, you're acknowledging, God, I need you. God, I sense this in my life. God, I give it to you. I bring it to you. I fully trust you. God, I know you'll never reject me, God. I know that you're there to deliver me and to heal me. And I acknowledge it before you, God. I will not ignore it. I will not deny it. I will not pretend like it doesn't exist. But God, I acknowledge it before you. And God, right now, just say this out of your own mouth and your heart. You can whisper it just just to say, God, I forgive those people and that circumstance that created this wound in my life. I don't feel like it and they may not even deserve it. But God, I choose to take the gift of forgiveness, to take the key of forgiveness and open the prison that has kept me attached to that rejection. And I release forgiveness in the mighty name of Jesus. Freely I have received forgiveness. Freely I will give forgiveness. I have needed much mercy in my life. I release mercy in the mighty name of Jesus. So God, I take them out of my hands. I take them off of my hook. And God, I put them in your hands and I put them on your hook. You're a good God and you're a just God. And Father, I repent. Just say, I repent of anything in my life. That hasn't been righteous as a result of that pain. God, forgive me. 
You know what's in your life. Forgive me of, of, of anger. Forgive me of bitterness. Forgive me of unresentment. God, all of these things that would hold me down, God, this morning, God, I ask that the blood of Jesus would forgive me. I release my parents. I release my siblings. God, the anger, the resentment, the hurt, the pain this morning. In Jesus' name, let the blood of Jesus cleanse my heart. You said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a cleansing taking place right now in your heart as you repent. Repentance is a good thing. Repentance is a good thing. Repentance gets us clean. It gets us free. It gets us going in the right direction. God, we thank you, God, that we can repent and you forgive and you cleanse our lives. Now, listen, everybody look at me for just a second. You can put your hands down. I want to remind you. That when Jesus came back from death, hell, and the grave, he, he made a statement and He said, All authority belongs to me. And He said, I'm going to give it to you. Because you're going to need it. To take authority over principalities and powers. It's not an argument. How many know God has no rival? I love that song. God has no rival. <laughs> the devil doesn't rival God. The devil's a created being. Him and all of His forces. Defeated openly, Colossians said. Defeated openly. They're like a, they're like a ragtag terrorist group. Guerrilla warfare. They show up where they're not legal, legally supposed to be. But we give them legal rights and they come in. But how many of you know that when we recognize them and we're submitted to God, submit to God, resist the devil, he has to flee. So you don't need me to pray for you because <laughs> you carry the authority of Jesus in you. You carry the name of Jesus. You've already been authorized and deputized because you're a son and daughter of the king. So what the enemy would like to tell you in this moment, because he's really scared. He's trying to tell you, well, you know, you might need to live for God better for a week before you try to do this. No, we're under the blood. We've been forgiven. We've released forgiveness. We've submitted to God. We don't need to do anything else. Work's already been done. But what I am going to do is I'm going to use the authority that God's given me. Use the authority that he's given you. You speak out of your mouth. You tell the devil where to go. You tell the spirit of rejection where to go. Let's do it. Let's do it right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, I reject and I renounce the spirit of rejection in my life. I cut off every agreement with rejection. I cut off every agreement with self-pity. I cut off every influence of rejection in my life. I break your power. I sever your root. I serve you notice that I'm a child of the King. I serve you notice that I overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. And I command you to be gone from my life in Jesus' mighty name. There's freedom in the house. Now, lastly, let's do this. Well, let me just remind you of this. You know, the Scripture said Jesus told the enemy, it's written, it's written, it's written. And the Scripture says that he left for a more opportune time. Listen, these, these steps, we can do them once a day. We can do them three times a day. However many times we need to do them, it works every time. And eventually, that guy will rather go find somebody that don't have the truth. And he'll leave us alone. And we will be free. But lastly, let's do this. Open your hands. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The breath of God. To bring healing. Restoration. I see a big wound. I just see that thing being touched by the breath of God. Many, 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 many years. Bringing you great pain. It's closing up. Healing. The leper said, Jesus, if you're willing, I could be made whole. Jesus said, I'm willing to be made whole. Be made whole. We receive it. In Jesus' name. And look at me for just a second. So the maintenance for this is we've spent a lifetime many times, many of us thinking the wrong way, believing a lie. So now we renew our mind. Go look it up. Go up. Go look up Joyce Meyer on the Internet and who I am in Christ or Neil T. Anderson or just just look up scriptures on who I am in Christ. Print you out 
all of them, five or ten or whatever, and every day you've got to start renewing your mind, replacing the lies, tearing down those strongholds. Guess what? Thinking, I heard Joel Osteen say this the other day. He encourages me so much. He said, he said, you know, I used to walk off the stage after I spoke and think about what I didn't say right. And, you know, I wasn't good enough and all that. He said, I don't mean this bragging anymore, but he said, I've renewed my mind to the, to the point that I say about me what God says about me. He said, I walked into the green room after my message the other night. My family was in there and he said, I nailed it. <laughs> Do you want to walk with that kind of confidence in life? God, I nailed it. I nailed today. It was a great day. I know who I am. I know who I am. I know who I am. Amen. Amen. Do I turn this to anybody? Justin, you want to close us out? All right. We're going to sing just a short worship song. This will be our closing. God bless you. I love you. Thank you for letting me be here. My praise goes up in the walls come down. My praise goes up. Then the walls calm down when my praise goes up. Then the walls calm down when my praise goes up. Then the walls calm down when my praise.